When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, one Saturday night at a party, David walked up to me and said, method acting. Hello and welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book of the same name where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. I'm Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of the artists I feature in my book. In recent years, there's been a bit of a renaissance around the music scene of Athens, Georgia of the late 70s and early 80s outside of the B-52s and R.E.M. There was Grace Elizabeth Hale's phenomenal deep dive on the scene with her book Cool Town, the reissue of Pylon's back catalog in their box set Box, and a recently released remastered version of Love Tractor's classic Themes from Venus. Then there's Vic Varney and David Gamble's band, The Method Actors. Vic has told me before that he's often called upon to talk about the success of others that came out of the same scene, and I think it's time to start talking about the brilliance and influence his own band had. The band were active in the period roughly between 1979 and 1982 and produced some great music, which you can hear in the retrospective of the band, This Is Still It, that was released in 2010. Soon, we'll see the re-release of the original albums, Rhythms of You, Little Figures, and Luxury from Propeller Sound Recordings. On this episode, Vic tells us about how the band came together and how a song he wrote in 15 minutes, Do the Method, affected the rest of his life. My name is Vic Varney. Um, I was in a band from the late 70s into the 1980s called the Method Actors. And the probably the most noted iteration of that band and also um, the longest lived and way most recorded was its original version, which was just two people. Um, I played guitar and sang and David Gamble played drums and sang. And we were a very odd-looking pair. David looked not terribly unlike Arnold Schwarzenegger and played in boxing shorts and moccasins. And I looked not entirely unlike a cigarette with a guitar. So it was a kind of an interesting band. Um, we had our first gig on Halloween of 1979 at Tyron's, in my opinion, the greatest club ever. Uh, and we opened up for Pylon. Now, previously to this, David and I had been in a band called The Tone Tones, and that was both our first band. And that band lasted about six months in 1979. Very successful, actually. Um, we opened for uh, Joe Jackson, 
did the Roxanne wing of the police tour. And so when that, when we wrapped that up, um, we decided to become a two-piece band. And actually, we didn't decide to become a two-piece band. I decided I wanted to be in a band, and I got David to join. And then we just stopped there. We had our first gig lined up, opening for Pylon at Tyron's on Halloween. And, but we didn't have a name. So Michael Husky of Pylon, who was kind of serving as the promoter and art director for the show, said that he had made a poster and it was almost finished and all he needed was the name for the band we were going to be in. And so we thought about it a long time. In fact, we lived in a place um, sort of popularly known as the Cobb Institute. And if you're from Athens, no, not that Cobb Institute, okay? Um, which I guess you could say was kind of a party house. And we actually kept a notebook on the mantel next to the dead fish uh, where anybody could write any suggestions they had for a name. And nothing really worked. We, I, There were two I actually kind of liked. One was the Hittites. Not bad, huh? And the other one was the Sofas, S-O space F-A-S. That's not terrible. A little louche, maybe. Anyway, um, but coming down the stretch within, I don't know, about 10 days of the gig, we still don't have a name. So uh, one Saturday night at a party, David walked up to me and said, method acting. And I said, okay, that's close. Let's make it the method actors. And that was it. Which brings up one thing that I think might surprise a few people. Um, the name of the band was not my idea. I tweaked it a little bit, but it was actually David's concept. And we were both very happy with that. So I called up Michael, hey, we got a name. So we've got about a week before this gig, and I kind of thought it would be cool. We had nine songs, and I thought, oh, you need ten, right? So I thought it would be kind of cool to write a band song, like, uh, you know, D-E-V-O, We Are Devo, or Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys, you know, or something like that. Um, so I wrote a song called The Method, which is also uh, known as Do the Method. Its original, its original single was released as The Method. And so we had a theme song, and we had a band, and we went out and played at Tyrone's, and that was absolutely terrific. We were good. Pylon was great. Huge crowd, real fun. So um, fast forward to January, early January of 1980. Um, at this point, point we actually were able to put together a really good tour that's pretty quick if you think about it because october 31st is almost november and november is almost the end of the year and january is definitely the beginning of the next one so we did pretty well pretty quickly and so we went up in new york and we did that tour and it was great success so uh got called back, did another one. And at the end of the second tour we did, I was standing in the hall um, of, 
of the house and somebody said, uh, what do you think about the times? And I didn't know if he meant like, well, they are a changing or what exactly. And I said, what? It's, you know, the times, the New York times. <laughs> it's, well, it's a great paper, isn't it? Um, he said, no, 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 you guys are in it. And so I opened it up to the pop section. I went downtown to Barnett's and Ball, and I didn't like subscribe to it. And you might recall there was no internet in 1980, right? Um, yeah, bought it. And uh, Robert Palmer, the dean of American rock writing, he was the first um, pop editor at the New York Times, pop music editor, had written, you know, just a little thing. He came out to see the human switchboard and we were opening for them and Pylon, and he happened to like us and mentioned it. Uh, as it turned out, he would write about us a few other times over the course of the next few years. Anyway, obviously that was a big help, and so we were doing really pretty well up until up through uh, that spring, and in the summer, a fellow named Peter Dyer came over to Athens, and he was curious about a couple of bands in Atlanta, but his main mission was he wanted to sign Pylon for a British label called Armageddon. So he spent about, I don't know, a couple months here actually, um, negotiating with Danny Beard and not really negotiating with me, but kind of got to know me because I was helping to handle Pylon at the time. And so it was one of those weird things where I immediately disliked him. And it, it didn't have anything to do with, with his wanting to sign Pylon. Um, I wanted, all I cared about with them is that they signed with whoever they wanted to. And I thought it was kind of cool signing with a British uh, label. That kind of made sense in a weird sort of way. So, but anyway, um, we got along fine. I just didn't really like him very much. I didn't think he liked me either. Um, and I guess late April, something like that, um, I saw him around. He was here just kind of negotiating with Paul. And I said, listen, we're playing, we the method actors are playing a gig at the Agora in Atlanta. Uh, you're staying in Atlanta mostly. If you're in town then and you want to bring your wife, um, come out and see us play. I knew, I knew he'd hate us. But anyway, was kind of curious. The gig came up. We played. It really was a good gig. You know, um, yeah, it was. We were the middle band, I think, and kind of um, really sort of showed up the, the headliner. You know how that happens. It just happens sometimes. We had a good, good crowd there of our own people. So after the show, Peter comes up and says, Vic, I know... You think I came here to get Pylon, and I did. That's my mission, but you guys are the band I was really looking for. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I just almost died, and he said, yeah, so how would you like to come spend the next year in England <laughs> and, reco and record uh, and tour? And I thought, well, yeah, that sounds good. I was working at DuPont at the time on the weekend. Um, so, David, is that okay? Yeah, that's okay, great. So we're going to England. So we, 
played our way up the East Coast um, the last week of August, and this would still be uh, 1980. And to just to get some, like, uh, walking around money for London, I think they had everything set up for housing and everything. And we were staying, actually, we were staying with a friend I'd met there before. Um, so we played it. Uh, somewhere, maybe the Cat's Cradle, I'm thinking, in Chapel Hill. Not sure about that. I can't remember. Definitely remember playing it in the 930 in D.C. Went up and played at Maxwell's in New Jersey. And then the Saturday night, we were we did uh, the Danceteria. And we were the headliner. We did two sets. Great show. Really funny. And I say it was funny because <laughs> we did Hunk of Burning Love as our encore with David singing. That was quite something. So in the dressing room, now now we're moving on toward, this is like around, I don't know, 3.30, 3.30 a.m. Dressing room, a guy comes up, and I guess I'll leave his name out of this. Um, I could address that on a need-to-know basis, but you don't really need to know. Uh, and, he was, and he introduced himself, and he said, I came... I didn't really come out to see a band tonight. I just came out to hang out at the Danceteria, saw you, thought it was really interesting. And oh, by the way, uh, in A&R with Columbia, Columbia Records. And um, I was wondering if maybe we could we could get together sometime next week and talk. And I said, well, here's the thing. We have slept maybe three hours total over the last three days. Um, we're going from here to downtown. Curtis Knapp is going to do a photo shoot with us. And then we're due on a plane tomorrow at 1 p.m. heading into London. And uh, he said, well, how about this? Why don't we have breakfast at the Waldorf? And I said, sure, why not? So basically, I think at that point, I just stayed up the rest of the night after we got out of the photo shoot. I mean, I'm the kind of person, if you go to sleep for two hours, it's <laughs> just not going to work. So I met him down there. I think, what did they call it? The Oak Room or something. And beautiful room, beautiful menu. Um, ordered something beautiful. And the first question he asked me was, um, I really liked the band. I thought there were, I, I thought there was something there. Okay, that's a good line, isn't it? And I was just wondering, you know, let, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I signed Bruce Springsteen. So I get pretty much one loser contract every year, by which I mean I get one thing I can play with, and if it loses money, no problem. I can still keep my job. And I'm kind of interested in you guys. So here's my first question. Would you consider adding a bass player? And this is so me. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> Boy, that was really smart, wasn't it? And the thing is, here's the thing. He wasn't really asking me if I if we would, you know, use a bass player or not. What he was really asking me was, um, have I got somebody I can work with or not? 
And I basically gave him every opportunity to correctly consider that he didn't. Um, nice breakfast, everything immediately after that became very polite, if you know what I mean. And I left and met up with David, and we went out to JFK and flew off to London. So we get there uh, and met our friend Peter Pope, who was keeping us at his flat in um, Kilburn. And we go there, and um, I guess we this would be about... Um, I remember that it was light, and so let's, let's say late afternoon, early evening. Proceeded to get really drunk. And with David... Drinking was an athletic event. Um, so not having slept very much since we left Athens like on Tuesday, and this would be Sunday night, um, we went to bed sort of like on the floor, actually, about 5 o'clock, maybe a little later. And... Not very long after that, like about seven, I got a call from Peter who was very excited, and I was really not, um, who said, Vic, this is the greatest news. I've got free studio time one day. Great little 16-track studio. It's on a houseboat in Little Venice, and... This is just going to be great. And we have it all day. Um, and I'm thinking, Peter, do you have any idea what it would take to pry David out of the floor and get him really hung over, as I myself was? And in a cab to be at a studio at nine o'clock. And he said, no, no, Vic, you, you don't understand. This is like a huge deal. This is, this is money in your pocket. And I'm thinking, okay, sure, why not? So we got our, basically we got our instruments, which consisted of a guitar and drumsticks, because the whole time we toured, that's all we toured with. We had a Fender Twin set up at every gig, and David had a kit set up at every gig. And since any kit that David would have used would have been so much better than his at home, it was like, fine, yeah, we'll take it. So anyway, we go down to the studio, and Little Venice, it may be in Maida Vale, I'm not sure, I can't really remember, but I think that's right. In any movie you see, especially if it's some kind of light rom-com, the scene where you're at the restaurant outside and there are weeping willows weeping onto a canal, that's Little Venice. It's really pretty, extremely she-she kind of neighborhood. And we go into this little houseboat and the engineer is like, God, he's like 20 or something. He's really young. Great equipment, 
Um, and it had, it, it came with like a guitar tech and, you know, all this stuff. David and I had never been in a studio before, by which I don't mean we never recorded before. I mean, we'd never been in a studio before. So, uh, we got down to work, set up and did a bunch of sound tests and stuff. And that day we recorded, um, the method can't act and bleeding those three songs and we did the whole enchilada we did um the band stuff which was live and then any overdubs we had to do which weren't a lot but enough to maybe make a little difference at least on the method and um mixed and mastered did all three in that one day and so uh coming out of the studio which was several miles from where we were staying um, as we were leaving uh the engineer was kind of cleaning up and he said I, I can call a car for you um that's 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 included in your budget and i said okay that's great and david looked at me and said let's walk it was one in the morning I couldn't believe it. And I said, yeah, let's do. <laughs> and it was, um, it was the happiest I ever saw David in his life. And I was happy too. And it was the greatest walk I think I've ever taken. It was just beautiful. Let's see, that would have been, yeah, um, August, that's still in August. In early October, um, it was announced as song of the single of the week in the NME, the New Music Express, which that was still a big deal then. I don't know if it is now or not. It may, may, may be, may not be. But um, and it it wasn't a lame week. It was a week that Ashes to Ashes came out, David Bowie song and some Bruce Springsteen song. I can't recall the name of, and that pretty much secured not only uh, a lot of open doors in England, but as it turned out, really um, in Europe as well and kind of parlayed that into a bunch of recording over the course of the next year. The Method Actors version with just the two of us only recorded in England. We never recorded here in America. Um, the four piece later did. We recorded in San Francisco, but um, David and I recorded a number of singles, um, an EP, which in effect was really an album. It was 30 minutes called Rhythms of You which came out over here as Dancing Underneath. And uh, then later, a double album called Little Figures, and a couple of other little things. But we recorded a lot that year, and that single of the week definitely opened a lot of doors. What was so funny about that, though, was um, Roy Carr, who was, I think, one of the older writers at the NME, um, he was chosen that week as the arbiter. 
And he said, well, he interviewed us later, and he said he hated it. And he said all the writers hated it because um, you would be given an enormous stack. I mean, he, he raised his hand about four feet over at his desk of singles that you would be given. Uh, and you get two big garbage cans and you go through each single and you look at it and you look at the front and then you look at the back and then you throw it away because you're not going to listen to, you're going to listen to hardly any of them. Uh, and so when he got to ours, a band he had no press release for, no nothing. Um, he just looked at it and he liked the cover. <laughs> that was it. Um, and it was the cover. It, it was two shots uh, that had been taken that night I alluded to previously after the Dance Ateria show. We went down and did a photo shoot with Curtis Knapp, and, which was real successful. We, we used a bunch of those pictures from years after that. And he liked, he liked the photograph. That was it. And he played it. And um, did a little research and found out that uh, we were a two-piece band from North Georgia. And I think he thought that was just such a bizarre concept (laughs) Um, that he loved it. And fortunately, he also forwarded a copy to John Peel at um, the BBC, BBC Four. And that was a big opening because we recorded two radio shows for him. He really liked the band a lot, played us a lot, played that song in particular. And so we did uh, a couple of shows for him, and those were recorded at Abbey Road. So, you know, that was kind of exciting. Which brings me to a couple of points. One being, I know this is true in your life as well as, your musical life, if you're a musician, or for that matter, just if you're a listener, um, so much of your life is random and is just determined by absolutely the craziest, most impossible to predict turns of events. Second, one thing may have a very long thread, and in this case, that one song really is probably responsible for why you're hearing my voice now. Because even though the band may have done well without it, hard to say, may have done better without it, <laughs> hard to say, I doubt it. I don't think I would, I don't think we, David and I, for, for starters, and then later me, um, would have had much of a, a musical history or for that one song, which goes back to a concept that was named by David Gamble in the late summer of 1979. And without further ado, here's the Method actors with their song, Do the Method.
And that's it for today's episode, which is dedicated to the memory of Vic's partner in crime and the other half of the Method actors, David Gamble. He sadly passed away in 2021. Thank you to Vic for this story and for giving us permission to play his song. For more about Vic and to hear some of his solo material, you can head over to vicvarney.bandcamp.com. He's also one of the artists I feature in my book on 80s musicians, 80s Redux, available wherever you buy books. And a reminder that you can also buy my book, Live Through That, on 90s artists and get 15% off using the promo code PODCAST15 by ordering at the link on the podcast page. All of these links will be on the show page. And if you like this show, please subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.